Today on Blue 58, what if we could redo an entire draft? That's going to be our goal today now that the 2021 draft is fading in the rearview mirror. Let's get together and rewind the clock to the spring of 2018 when Brian Gutekunst was getting ready to take the Packers through his first draft as general manager. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we dive into the content for today, I want to direct your attention to thepowersweep.com. We've got a poll up there for you. We're getting ready to start our 2021 Blue 58 Book Club. And we have five books, yep, one, two, three, four, five books up for a vote uh, for what we're going to read this year. Good selection, a couple that we didn't get to from last year. And I think uh, any one of these that we we pick is going to be a good read for the group. Uh, so just as a quick recap, a uh, quick summary of the of the poll, we've got five books, like I said, up for a vote. Blood, Sweat, and Chalk is the first by Tim Layden. It's a good look at uh, schematic evolution in the NFL through the lens of just a few specific plays. Somewhat related to that, we're also considering The Genius of Desperation by Doug Farrar. This is more about schematic shifts through NFL history. Also uh, a good read if you're looking for that sort of thing. The Art of Smart Football by Chris Brown is book number three on the list. This is really X's and O's heavy. Uh, so it's a, it's a good look inside specific plays and strategies that are more modern focused in the NFL. Um, games that changed the game, a little bit more history-focused, an offering from Ron Jaworski, uh, our fourth book for consideration. This is kind of uh, a little bit like Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, but more focused on specific games. And then uh, as in something completely different, we're looking at Collision Low Crossers by Nicholas Dewadoff. Um This is the book we've talked about a few times before on the podcast. He spends a year with the uh, New York Jets and just give sort of an inside look at uh, at what they've got going on um, inside their organization and what it's like to be inside a pro football team for a year. So those are the five. Uh, cast your votes. We'll probably leave this poll running for about a week, and then uh, we will get set to start in on the book club. Let's talk about the 2018 NFL Draft. I like to do this every year about this time taking a look back at uh, what the Packers did in the draft and what we could do differently. Now, it's tempting when you do a redraft to just say, well, who were the 10 or so best players in that draft? Uh, Why don't we just pick them uh, in whatever order we can? Or better yet, we'll uh, take all of our hypothetical draft picks here and we'll bundle them all up into a hypothetical trade, and then we'll just trade them for the first overall pick and get the guy that we know is really good. Um, that's that's no fun. Well, it might be fun, but it's it's not realistic. We want to look at who the Packers theoretically could have taken uh, when they were on the board, when they made their picks that they did end up taking. So some ground rules for redrafting our 2018 NFL draft class. We can either... Take the next player off the board at the same position as the Packers picked, or take someone who was taken in the next 10 picks. We are also going to keep all of the trades that the Packers went through because undoing all of the trades would be a headache and it's going to end up changing positions on the board just too much. It also factors a little bit into picks. So there's a couple of situations where the Packers traded up 
um, and uh, ended up, you know, taking a guy because they were trying to go up to get him. Obviously, that is something that, um, you know, we can't entirely do away with. But uh, we're just going to try to pick who from who was on the board when the Packers made their picks. The Packers ended up making 11 draft picks in Brian Gutekunst's first go-round, and many of those draft picks are still on the roster today. In fact, uh, out of those 11, only Jamon Moore, Cole Madison, and uh, James Looney and Hunt, uh, Kendall Donerson have, uh, have left the team by this point. Um, but we'll talk about them as we get to those points in the draft. All right, so first and foremost, right off the bat, uh, we have to deal with the trade. The Packers originally held the 14th overall pick in the 2018 draft. They traded back uh, down the board considerably, then traded back up to 18th um, and selected Jair Alexander. Now, they picked up a first-round pick in the prospect that they would end up spending in the 2019 draft after a trade again. Uh, but with Brian Gutekunst's very first first-round pick, he ended up selecting Jair Alexander, 18th overall. Now, it's a little bit of a boring start to a redraft, but I think if we were going to do this draft again, if we were sitting at 18 and Jair Alexander is there on the board, I think he is no doubt going to be the Packers pick. Next few guys off the board after him, Leighton Vander Esch, Frank Ragnow, Billy Price, Rashawn Evans, Isaiah Wynn, DJ Moore, Hayden Hurst, Calvin Ridley. I'm not seeing anybody in there that I want more than Jair Alexander. If you go up, it gets a little bit more interesting because these were the guys that were on the board when the Packers were were picking at 14. Derwin James at 17 has had more than his share of injury issues, but he looked like a game-changing safety uh, before he started having injuries left, right, and center in Los Angeles. So that is a, a bit of a bummer for him, but the Packers look like they made the right pick in Jair Alexander. Tremaine Edmonds is also an interesting prospect a really big inside linebacker, a super athlete. Um, he too has had some some minor issues staying healthy and hasn't made as many plays, I think, on the ball as a lot of people were expecting. Uh, but still, the Packers could use a presence like that at, at inside linebacker, though I think in the grand scheme, a uh, defensive back like Jair Alexander is the better pick. So right off the back, I, bat, I think we're staying, staying with the same pick and Jair Alexander. Packers next came up in the second round. 45th overall, they take Josh Jackson, the cornerback, out of Iowa. A lot of people thought Josh Jackson was one of, if not the best corner in the draft. Um, There were people out there banging the drum for him potentially at 14, including, I must admit, uh, this podcast. We mentioned him as a possibility at, uh, at 14 for the Packers. It ended up that the Packers got him at 45, and at the time it seemed like a great value. A good athlete. Uh, though lacking top-end speed, he's, he's got great lateral quickness. It hasn't really worked out for him overall. So we're going to go in a different direction here and go with a different guy who kind of, in a lot of ways, ends up being a little bit the same as Josh Jackson, Anthony Miller, a wide receiver taken 51st overall by the Chicago Bears. Now, Miller is a great athlete, nine-two-three relative athletic score, this gets the Packers their their Randall Cobb replacement a year before he leaves and gives them another offensive weapon to work with late in the Mike McCarthy era. Projecting him a little bit further down the road, he'll fit in great with, uh, with Matt LaFleur in 2019 and 2020, probably slotting into that Tyler Irvin role. 
The knock on Miller is he's a little bit old, 23, when he's coming off the board already. Packers do tend to pick a little bit younger than that. Uh, he was 24 before his uh, his first NFL season uh, even, even wrapped up, uh, being born on October 9th, 1994. So he turned 24 before the first month of his first NFL season was even over. Miller hasn't been great in uh, in Chicago. They have had their fair share and then some of quarterback issues there. So I can't entirely blame him there, but uh, I think it's fair to say it's been a little bit of a disappointment for the Bears. Still, got to think in a better situation in Green Bay, he ends up being a little bit more productive. Round three, the Packers trade up to 88th overall and take Oren Burks. We're going to switch this one up again. They'll go with the same position and take Josie Jewell, who went to 100, who went to Denver at pick number 106 overall, the next inside linebacker off the board. And this is basically just trying something different. Burks hasn't been great, but Jewell has been a little bit better. Basically the same career as Burks. Not as good an athlete, but a little bit more productive, a little bit more of a regular contributor on defense. Interesting, he went only a few, interestingly, I should say, he went only a few picks after where the Packers were supposed supposed to go originally. They had owned the 101st overall pick. They traded up to 88 to get Oren Burks. In the fourth round, the Packers picked Jamon Moore at number 133. We're going to switch it up and go with defensive lineman Maurice Hurst, who originally went 140th. We are trading here a non-factor wide receiver for a defensive lineman with some athletic upside. Hurst is not a super elite tester, but he's in the 7-7 range as far as relative athletic score. I think if you want to knock him a little bit, if you're making this selection as the Packers general manager, you say he's a little bit on the smaller side. But it's also kind of like the defensive argument for Jamon Moore. So Maurice Hurst, yeah, there are some some knocks there, but he's got fairly decent athletic upside. We can finally probably find a spot for him. That's Hurst on defense. Um, Moore, kind of the same way, some knocks to his game. Uh, but you just think, boy, the, if you can put it together, you might have something there. Well, as it turns out, he didn't ever. He couldn't turn it into something and is now out of the NFL. We'll see if Hurst works out any better in our redraft here. Round five, the Packers had three picks in the fifth round in 2018. We're going to stick with those three picks or stick with those three, um, yeah, the the picks, not the actual selections. But uh, the first of their three picks was Cole Madison, taken 138th overall. The new pick is going to be Trey Flowers at 146. Uh, He is a member of the Seattle Seahawks. So this is kind of a makeup pick for taking Josh Jackson off of our list earlier. Flowers has not been outstanding by by any means, but he's been uh, a lot more of a consistent contributor than Jackson has been. 42 games he's played for the Seahawks, 16 passes defense, three interceptions. Cole Madison, a big fan of the selection at the time, seemed like another entry in the Packers tackled the guard pipeline, Uh, just never worked out there for a variety of reasons. And, you know, got to applaud him for doing what was right for him, uh, giving up um, a situation for a year that a lot of people would really have liked to be in. Uh, but that takes a lot of strength of character. That's a that's a brave thing to do. And uh, it didn't work for him trying to get all the way back, but um, got to give him props for the, the road that he chose to walk and uh, is, I guess, still living with today. And uh, good for him. Um, the next pick for the Packers was J.K. Scott at 172. We're going to stick with a player that came off the, uh, the board just a few picks later and just take Marquez Valdez-Scantling here. Just take him at 172. 
Originally, he went at 176. Just get him here. Uh, I think for a fifth-round pick, you can't be all that upset with the career that MVS has had. Sure, he's a little bit infuriating at some times. But, man, you got to love the physical upside there. And we like him here at 172. So we said goodbye to J.K. Scott. We can fix that in undrafted free agency. We need a punter sooner or later. Uh, MVS is our pick at 172. At 176, we don't have to pick Marquez Valdez-Scantling, so we will take defensive back Perry Nickerson. You may recognize that name because he ended up in Green Bay sooner or later anyway. Well, actually, it was later. didn't happen until 2020, but he did end up playing one game for the Packers in 2020. And I think his great speed, a 4-3, 240-yard dash, is worth a flyer here in the fifth round. And since he ended up in Green Bay, it does make a little bit of sense. Packers had one pick in the sixth round. They took Equinemius St. Brown, and we're just going to do the same thing. I'm fine with keeping Equinemius St. Brown here. There's nobody really who comes immediately after him that is, I I think, a better prospect. You love his height, weight, speed traits, um, and if not for injuries, who knows how his second year with the Packers shakes out in 2019. 2020 was a bit of a disappointment again, but um, still has those traits, and you love his size, so who knows what can happen in 2021. New opportunities for everybody. Finally, the Packers finish out the 2021 draft with three picks in round seven. The original pick at 232 was James Looney. The new pick for us is going to be Jordan Mailata, who went 233 to the Philadelphia Eagles. Reasoning here is this. The Packers are kind of rolling the dice on a good athlete who hadn't contributed much on defense in college. Let's do the same, except for doing it on offense. By a lot of 6'8", 346, good enough athlete to play rugby, though he had never played football before. Why not take a shot? Somebody who's really big and really athletic, you can find something for him to do, and the Eagles finally did find something for him to do last season. Uh, Started, I think, 15 games on the offensive line. Not too shabby for a guy only in his third year of playing football. At 239, the Packers took Hunter Bradley, the long snapper. Let's get out of the long snapper in the draft game and take another shot at a wide receiver. That's going to be four in this draft for us, but that's okay. Uh, We'll take Richie James, who originally went 240th to San Francisco. Really just want anybody but a long snapper here, especially when the Packers have tried fairly actively over the years to replace Hunter Bradley. James is a five foot nine receiver, so a big change of direction from the Packers, where the Packers typically go, but a pretty good athlete. And uh, if he's got any return ability, I mean, he's worth a shot in the seventh round. And heck, it's the seventh round anyway. Finally, we'll wrap it up with Kendall Donerson at 248. That's what the Packers did originally, and we're going to stick with that at 248. We're six picks from the end of the draft. Might as well roll the dice on a guy who, although he played at a very small school, can run a 4 4. 40-yard dash at 250 pounds. So not a lot of changes, I suppose. We, we did stick with uh, at least four guys from the original draft class, Jair Alexander, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown, and Kendall Donison. But we add Anthony Miller in the second round, take a different linebacker and Josie Jewell in the third, try our luck with uh, defensive prospects Maurice Hurst and Trey Flowers in the fourth and fifth, add Perry Nicholson, or Nickerson in the fifth as well, uh, and then round things out with Jordan Mailata and Richie James in the seventh round. Worth a shot, I think. What do you think? What would you do different in the 2018 NFL Draft? Let us know either in the comments on YouTube, if you're listening there on social media, or in our Discord server. That is uh, one of the best places you can check in with what's going on at Blue58. That is one of the benefits of being a patron. Head to patreon.com slash sweep and you will get access to the 
Discord server if you choose to support at any level. It is a lot of fun to chat with Packers fans around the world. We're talking about vacation destinations, um, specifically Canada right now in the Discord server, uh, as well as just asking questions and uh, and hanging out and having a good time as we try to get through this offseason together. Next up, I want to continue our look at drafting stats um, in the NFL. Last time around, we looked at where the good wide receivers go in the draft. This time, we are going to update our take on on running backs. Uh, we did this last year, and it uh, kind of was the, the germ of the idea for doing this again this year. I wanted to take a look at where the good running backs are going in the NFL draft. Uh, how do we define a good running back? Um, I went about it two different ways, and I expanded our criteria from what we did with wide receivers to give us a little bit bigger pool uh, in one sense and a little bit more of a high bar in another. So we're looking at two pools of quote-unquote good running backs. The first is anybody in the last 10 years who has um, produced 100 or more defense-adjusted yards above replacement, according to Football Outsiders metric. There have been 154 such seasons over the past 10 years, not 154 different players, an amount of players who have produced 154 such seasons. I've also looked at people who are who have rated a 10% or more on the positive side of defense-adjusted value over average, another metric from Football Outsiders. Uh, the, the shortest explanation I can give you for why I chose these two metrics was overall volume of production and efficiency of production. So yards above replacement is, uh, is not adjusted for efficiency in the same way that value over average is. Uh, it can also be a little bit more prone to favoring guys who just get a lot of carries. Uh, a good example of this is uh, 2013 Eddie Lacy pops up on the list um, in yards above replacement, uh, but not in DVOA. Um, and the reason for that was he just got fed the ball a lot that season with uh, Aaron Rodgers out with a broken collarbone. Wasn't necessarily the most efficient runner, but he got a lot of yards just because the Packers didn't have a whole lot else going on offense at that time. Uh, they really just couldn't get anything going at all. So he shows up in the volume stats, but not so much the efficiency. What do the numbers show here? Well, much like receiver and uh, much like what I suspect is going to be the case for a lot of these picks, uh, the the results are skewed fairly heavily towards the the early rounds of the draft. Fifty one point fifty one point nine five percent of the seasons involving one hundred yards above replacement or more uh, came in the first two rounds of the draft. In fact, forty eight were from the first round, thirty two more were from the second round. The first three rounds gave us 66.2% of all of those seasons. Day three picks, rounds four, five, and six, brought us 21%. It's slightly higher than what we saw from from wide receivers. And then undrafted free agents uh, give us another 11, 12% or so. So you got a little bit bigger pool here in the first three to four rounds or so than you do um, with the receivers. Uh, but even so, you see the early players are going, or the good players are going early, which runs a little bit against what you see from some in the analytics community. Um, this is a position that I held up until last year or so that you could get a good running back at pretty much any point in the draft. That is not really borne out by the numbers. Um, the good running backs, the running backs that are producing 
at a very high level do tend to go early, most of them in the first three rounds. Uh, those are the guys that are producing consistently. Same is pretty much true for the, the defense-adjusted value over average players. Uh, we've got 47% going in the first two rounds, and then we're up to 61.8% in the first three rounds. So that is a little bit, a little bit lower. Uh, so sticking, again, with what we saw from receivers, um, efficiency-wise, you can get more contributors later on. But if you're looking for pure volume, if you're looking for an, a down-in, down-out contributor, you've got to draft a guy earlier. The numbers go up significantly, though, um, on day three and undrafted picks um, in terms of efficiency. 38% of the 97 seasons over the last 10 years have come from day three and undrafted picks. So guys like uh, Aaron Jones contribute there a lot. He's got three of the 97 seasons, and he was a fifth-round pick. Packers have uh, have done pretty well in this respect. In fact, they've got uh, a couple guys on this list from, from day three. You've got uh, Aaron Jones, of course, but also Jamal Williams uh, showing up on the uh, DYAR list as well. So what are the takeaways here? I think, um, and we'll get into this in a second with a, with a question from a listener, but I think the, the, the trend we're going to see is that you have to, to weight your priorities by positions. Um, there is going to be a similar kind of regression over the rounds, um, position by position, there's obviously going to be fewer players as the draft goes on that are capable of contributing at a high level. So how do you decide who to pick and when? It's all about what positions make the biggest difference. And this uh, I wanted to explore a little bit more fully in a question from a listener. Carl asks in our Discord server, um, I have one question on how we'll sum this up in the end. What if the analysis show that it's best to draft a player in the first or second round, and that applies to all position groups? That would leave us not really knowing how to rank the position's values. Do we have a metric that ranks the probability of a position group's contribution to a win? For instance, I'm guessing a quarterback will contribute more than a running back. This is a very good question. And uh, the short answer is yes. The longer answer is yes, sort of. So there is a metric that uh, shows exactly how much you should value a position or a given position relative to another. It's called wins above replacement. This is super common in baseball. Um, it's like the de facto stat, or it was for a long time. I think it's diminished some. I don't keep up super intensely on baseball sabermetrics and, and all of those sorts of things. But a wins above replacement is basically trying to measure how much closer to a win does a given player get you than just any given player just a replacement level player. Replacement level player is, is the kind of the baseline contribution that you could expect from just any given guy at a position. Pro Football Focus has done a tremendous amount of work trying to make this stat work for football, and they've gotten most of the way there, I think. I'm not entirely sold on their interpretation of the number just yet, partly because there are just so many variables that go into getting a win in football that I think it's really hard to drill down and say, yes, this guy contributed this much towards a given win. However, they do give us a sort of broad look at what players contribute or what positions, excuse me, um, contribute more to wins than others. And as you would expect, um, quarterbacks are going to contribute the most. Um, and this is a good way in general to look at uh, 
at how players should be evaluated relative to another. Sure, you can get good running backs and good um, quarterbacks in the first round or good quarterbacks and good receivers or good receivers and good running backs in the first round at the same time. But how much does a given guy contribute to winning a football game? Well, quarterbacks are going to contribute more than running backs and running backs are going to contribute less than wide receivers and edge rushers fall somewhere in there as well. How much should you value one over the other? Well, it's not exactly clear based on this number. And it's not exactly clear how stable this number is over time either, because we're still learning a lot about it. But that's where the valuation aspect of this comes in. And that's something we talked about a little bit uh, in our draft series towards the end. Um, again, plugging the Discord server, we we came up with a horizontal draft board. And this is basically what uh, NFL teams use to to stack their board. You don't just have a list of guys, one to 100, say, that you're, you're willing to, to offer or to willing to take at a, a given point, you build your board horizontally. So you have you put together vertical columns of all of the different positions, wide receiver, running back, tight end, offensive line, so on and so forth. And then you cross-section it based on guys that you think are a first-round grade and guys that are a second-round grade, guys that are a third-round grade, and guys that are a fourth-round grade. And when you get to your pick in a given round, you see who's available that you have as a first-round grade, and then you make your decision based on what, what position you think is more valuable. That's why the Packers end up taking a guy like Eric Stokes, even though he may not be as, as highly decorated as some of the other guys on the board at different positions, Christian Barmore, for example, because they value cornerback more than they value defensive line. I think that should be abundantly clear as to how the Packers have handled the draft over the past few years. But that's how that sort of thing shakes out. You've got to think about positional value here, too. But I do think we are seeing enough differences from position to position as to how these players are grading out. And I want to add in a little bit more here uh, to maybe expand the picture a little bit too to show really the truest picture of where the good players are coming from. For instance, we got a a question on Twitter as to whether or not we would, um, just, just for kicks, take a look at the, say, top 10 grades per year at receiver just on on winning teams, teams that had good records. Are those teams that are getting contributors from late round picks or are they getting contributors from contributions from early round picks? I don't know the answer to that. I suspect it's it's going to be broadly the same as as the the overall trends here, but you never know. Uh, I think it's worth asking whether guys are are putting up good numbers just because they're on good teams or do good players result in their teams having good success the answer is somewhere on the spectrum between those two, those two poles. Uh, but I think it, it is a question worth asking. We're not going to answer it today though. Uh, this, this is a, a, a marathon, not a sprint. We've got a, a lot of data yet to crunch and a lot of discussion yet to have. Looking forward to, to going through this with you. And I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation with anybody who's willing to have it with me as well. Like for instance, say in the discord server, check that out again, patreon.com slash the power sweep. So I've got for you in this episode. Do appreciate you tuning in. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and uh, think somebody else would as well, I'd really appreciate it if you'd go ahead and share it. Tell a friend, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell anybody who likes the Packers, or even if they don't, say, uh, download this podcast, boost the numbers, because that would be a lot of fun. Um, uh, 
depending on your definition of fun, I suppose. In the meantime, uh, just continue to listen, uh, continue to interact, continue to share your thoughts, uh, continue to keep this conversation around the Packers going. We don't have to just talk about, well, the thing that everyone's talking about. There's all sorts of other things to talk about as well, and I'm hoping to talk about them with you and books and, and all sorts of other things throughout all of the off season. In the meantime, that'll be it for this episode of Blue 58. Uh, keep talking, keep having conversations with each other, keep enjoying this team, because that is ultimately how we're all going to become smarter Packers fans, me included. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.